0: On my gravestone, it will say he watched more Kickboxer than the people that made Kickboxer.
1: I don't want my cheese puffs to get moldy and, and old. today. <laughs> so oh I've moved on to my, my little gummy snacks now.
0: Uh, I'm glad my concept has grasped so. The hair is long and curly in this movie. Along with some good special effects, I might add. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Movie Freaks. Uh, tonight is episode 89, and we're doing something a little bit differently. Uh, unfortunately, we were not all able to coordinate our schedules uh, between work and family and kids and everything um, to put to get together to record um, uh, this week. So, uh, what we're but I wanted to stay on track with the top 100, uh, Jess's top 100, and uh, to keep up with Oscar stuff that we have coming up and the Oscar contest, which we'll be doing uh, next week, and I'll be revealing that information on today's show. So, here's what we're going to do. I had Jess record her uh, Top 100 Honorable Mentions 25 through 1. Um, We are going to get to that first off. And then after that, I had Eugene record us uh, some of his recently watched, so he could clear a little bit of those things off his plate. And I'm going to be revealing, yes, the Oscar categories for the Oscar contest that we do every year with prizes, blah, blah, blah. I will do that a little later in the show. Uh, So without much further ado, at least you have something to listen to this week. It's better than nothing, right? (laughs) So yes, you'll have to wait until next episode for our roulette reviews of Love, The Hollow, and The Diabolical. Uh, We will get those to you as soon as we possibly can. I already know our schedule next week is good and clear uh, we just had a really busy one It's going to happen from time to time. Sorry, you're just going to have to put up with it. Uh, okay, without further ado, uh, Miss Jess Hicks, your top 100. But before we get to that, we got to clear up 50 honorable mentions. We did t- 50 through 26 last time, and now it's time for 25 to number 1 of your honorable mentions. Okay, here we go. Take it away, Jess.
2: Hello, movie freaks. I know, this is a weird show, but hey. We still love you. We did all this effort to bring you as many movie segment themes as possible. So here I am, Jess Hicks, with my continuing my 50 honorable mentions of my top 100 movies, 150 movies of all time. We're going to be going here through 25 through 1 before we get into the Master 100 list. So I'm going to get through this pretty quickly because there's not really a lot to say on some of these movies. Hopefully you guys agree. Hopefully you're not going to be throwing stones at me at the end of this segment. As always, let's chat about it on, our, on, on Facebook. I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, getting into it with number 25, Citizen Kane. Yes, it has long been since said by AFI. Actually, I think it got toppled last year. But for many, many, many years since Citizen came out, Citizen Kane came out it is hailed as the best movie of all time now this is for a few reasons because Orwell was such a visionary directorially he um, started to do a lot um, with different camera techniques that we see a lot today um, including like dual focus as opposed to most movies before Citizen Kane if you were watching somebody at the front of your screen that's who you were watching everything else in the back was blurry Vice versa, if they wanted to show a close, or if they wanted to focus on somebody in the back. Citizen Kane didn't do that. Really, they had everything was in focus all the time. So because everything in the each frame is so important to the film, why is it twenty five on my number fifty? Like you're on my fifty honorable mentions. Because my honorable mentions, or my my, um, list in general, all of it is based on rewatchability. And yes, Citizen Kane's a great movie, and I love it, but there aren't a whole lot of days where I'm going to sit down and be like, yeah, I feel like watching Citizen Kane today. It's just not one of those movies that strikes me often. So moving on to number four, or 24, is uh, Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 1. I love Mel Brooks. I'm not, I'm really hard to please when it comes to comedy, and I know this, and I know this is frustrating. But I can't help it. who's who I am. But old comedy, classic comedy, I love. Mel Brooks in particular. Um, History of the World used to be my favorite Mel Brooks movie until, ooh, because it was the first one I saw, but then I, I got around to more of them, and that's why it is on my 50 honorable mentions list. Honestly, it could go anywhere. It's a fantastic movie. Um, it's it's just fucking hilarious. Madeline Kahn in everything is hilarious. Um so yeah, Mel Brooks's History of the World Part 1 and no, there's not a part 2. Number 23. A little bit of a newer movie and I did kind of any of the newer-ish movies within the last 10 to twenty, ten to 15 years, I would say. I think post 2000 pretty much. Probably went on my 50 honorable mentions just because there are so many other movies that are older that I watch all the time. But um so for the more the newer things we, we I shoved him over on my top fifty. So we're gonna be doing number twenty three is Insidious. Yes, this movie was sort of divisive when it came out, um, namely because of its tonal shift at the end. Um, it gets a bit campy and crazy, but you know what? I'd love that. I don't. I don't even fucking care. Haters gonna hate. Um, I, I I I Insidious. I got to see in a packed theater opening night. I was working at Regal at the time. I don't know if it was the energy with the crowd mixed with me being really excited for the movie or what, um, but it was packed, people were jumping, screaming, not in an obnoxious way, in a legitimate, like, I'm getting scared and I, I have to vocalize my, my scaredness um, in some way. And it was, it it got under my skin, I was terrified the whole time, I, I, I don't know, I think it was a mix of the energy with the crowd and the movie, but I love that movie, Tiny Tim is fucking creepy, and... Screw you, I like Man at the end. So number 22 is The Red Shoes, which we've talked about before on this show, so I'm not going to go too much into it. Yes, it is the um, J-horror one, not the ballet one, sorry. <laughs> but Red Shoes was one of the first J-horrors I, uh, I had the pleasure of watching, and it gave me a great insight onto foreign horror movies, specifically Japanese, obviously, um, or just Asian horror movies in general. But it just it showed me that you could do so much crazy shit, and it's totally fine and acceptable. And I loved every second of it. So number twenty one, continuing with our newish movie uh, trend, is The Conjuring. Yes, another James Wan movie. Um, I am sort of hit or miss, I guess, with James Wan. Um, I I don't know. I guess that's not fair to say. I haven't really disliked too many of his movies. And I do like Dead Silence, so I'm not even going to apologize for that. <laughs> um, so The Conjuring with uh, uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga and Lily Taylor. And Vera, Vera Farmiga as Lorraine, um, blanking on her last name, but as a ghost hunter. Uh, the, the Everything about this movie is great. And it really channels back to the 1970s horror of atmosphere where it sort of builds up yeah we got a lot of jump scares to get the momentum going because audiences today don't really dig the slow burn hence house of the devil coming straight to video but um this the jump scares work in this and i'm i'm am easily susceptible to jump scares i'm not saying because i watch horror movies all the time i'm totally immune to being scared by things I'm just sort of immune to going home with it in the back of my head. I don't. But The Conjuring, however, was a movie as well as Insidious where after I got home from the theater and I got to see this in an advanced screening and maybe that was it. Maybe it was because I I, I watched it before other people, so I couldn't really say much about it. So it was just lingering in my head and I got home and I was. Eh, nope. I had to turn all the lights and I couldn't I couldn't do it. Um. But this movie's great. I mean, it's got a great soundtrack. It's got a great 70s feel. Everything about this is a good, classic haunted house movie. And I am excited for Conjuring 2, even though I really hated Insidious 2. So hopefully we don't keep that trend up. All right, moving on to number 20. We have Never Sleep Again. I did put Camp Crystal Lake Memories at uh, number 40 or something, I think, like that on the uh, last time we did this. So I definitely wanted to put in Never Sleep Again. Never Sleep Again is higher up on the list because I am more of a Nightmare and Elm Street fan than I am a Friday fan. Friday the 13th fan, actually, by Felicia. But that doesn't mean I don't love Friday the 13th, so I don't want to hear it from all you Friday the 13th Jason fans out there saying that I lose my cred because I don't like Jason. That is false. I just like Freddy more. He's funny. Never Sleep Again is just as good as um, well I was I, I wanted a little more from Never Sleep Again. I don't think it's quite as long as Camp Crystal Lake Memories. Um, It's still really, really long and they do go through every movie in depth which I love because I'm a giant nerd. It's basically watching like extra features on a DVD or on a Blu-ray for hours and hours and hours and if that doesn't sound fun to you, I think you're insane. But for me Never Sleep Again was an Awesome documentary, and I really hope that these guys do one for Halloween. And obviously, that would be the next franchise, and then spread out onto the more uh, the lesser known about franchises. I'd like to see Texas Chainsaw one. I'd like to see, uh, pretty much anything. I mean, anything that they want to go that in depth about, I want to know. All right, moving on to number twenty. I'm sorry, number nineteen. We're going back to my childhood. Well, I wasn't alive then, but back to a movie that I used to watch and still watch every Christmas. Um, well, every Christmas season, I used to watch it all the time with my mom. But if we can't get together in time to watch it, we both watch it on our uh, respective TVs. That is the Year Without a Santa Claus. It is my favorite. Um, uh, Rankin and Bass. Christmas special and it will forever be and I will forever ever 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 cry when blue Christmas comes on but I also realized something this year there's a song in here without a Santa Claus which is pretty if you don't know the basic plot to this thing that's been on TV for the last 50 years it's Santa isn't feeling the love anymore and decides he's gonna take Christmas off which I mean if you only work one day a year fucking screw you but anyway Santa's not feeling the love, so he decides he's not gonna go out, so some elves and uh with the help of a boy who was unfortunately named Ignatius um go on a quest to get Christmas spirit back and make Santa feel loved again and there's a song in it um where Ignatius is talking to Santa, but he doesn't know he's Santa and telling him you know like nobody believes in Santa anymore, that's for babies. And there's a song that comes on right after that called I Believe in Santa Claus or something like that. And I used to hate it when I was a kid because it's very slow and it's sappy and it kind of slows the movie down um, as far as like kid interesting things. But as an adult, I appreciate that song so much more. And I did get a little teary eyed this Christmas watching it. But hey, I love that movie. It's cute. The animation is absolutely fantastic. I will, I will never get over Rankin a Bass animation because it's just the amount of work put into that is fantastic. Moving on to number 18 in a completely different direction with Fright Night 2. Fright Night 2 I came to very, very recently. I didn't see it for the first time until probably this past summer when I got it um, on some sketchy bootleg DVD from a convention. But I had never seen it, and I was like, screw it. I'm not going to pay the ridiculous money for Twilight Time. Um, So I got the Fright Night 2 uh, DVD bootleg, and it's so much fun it is so much fun, and it, it it needs an arrow treatment or a screen factory treatment or both. I don't care. I'll buy both. It's it's just it's awesome, and who doesn't like roller skating sexy vampires, honestly? So number 17, again, we're just bouncing all over the movie map here. Going back to my childhood again and starting my love for Vincent Price subconsciously is The Great Mouse Detective. The Great Mouse Detective is a Disney version, basically, of Sherlock, but with mice. Um, and rats. Sherlock Holmes is a is a mouse, and he's got a, um, he takes on a case with a little girl whose father is missing, and he has to go find um, he and Watson, the other mouse, and their names are not uh, Sherlock and Watson, by the way, copyright infringement. It's like Basil and something else. But um, they have to go run around London and find her father and get into all these crazy things, but the big bad in it is named Ratigan. He's a giant rat with a pet cat. And he is voiced by the late, great Vincent Price, who is one of my favorite icons of all time. So I think I can probably attribute that to many, 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 many hours of small, tiny Jessica watching The Great Mouse Detective on loop. And now as I sit here staring at my Vincent Price bobblehead, it's amazing how things come around, isn't it? Moving on to number 16, we've got the original Jurassic Park. Not much to say about that. Effects still hold up. I saw it on TV not too long ago, just flipping through, and it still looks really great. Uh, and I mean, it's 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 fucking dinosaurs, all right. It's really realistic dinosaurs, and Jeff Goldblum. So, one hundred percent sold. Fantastic movie. Moving on to number fifteen, we have Dario Argento's *Tenebrae*, which is a Eugene and Jess certified approved Dario Argento, but. Eric's gonna Eric's going to have to disagree. So I'm going to I'm going to pose it to you audience, Tenebrae, yes or no. Um uh, but Tenebrae it's it's giallo. It's got one of the most awesome scores of all the Dario Argento movies. Um is obviously sup- obviously wins uh that award, but Tenebrae Tenebra is just an overlooked Dario Argento and Eric, I can hear you in my head right now saying and for good reason.
0: And for good reason.
2: Sorry, it's okay to be wrong, Eric. It's okay. Number 14 is Puppet Master, a full moon special. Uh, yeah, killer puppets come to life in a hotel and uh, kill probably some of the worst hotel guests you will ever experience in your life. And when I saw this movie, I, th- I was pretty... I was younger. I wasn't a little kid, but I was younger. And the leech lady throwing up leeches all over that couple who's having sex is just permanently ingrained in... Just, it just burned into my eyes and into my brain. And I, it, I've i gone back and I've watched all of these sequels multiple times. I don't know why I do this to myself. Because it's not... I've, I've probably seen one through five multiple times. I don't even remember how many there are at this point. But there's a lot of different Nazi ones. A lot of different Nazi puppets. Which are always hilarious. But this is just your first... Kind of, there's no mention of the World War II aspect really that gets filtered in through the sequels. There's it's just these people come to find out the death of or come to visit because of the death of one of their colleagues. They've all got some kind of psychic supernatural power, and the puppets come alive and kill them, and it's great. So, number 13 is Isle of the Dead. From 1945 with Boris Karloff. This is a movie that my fiance Jason introduced me to when I bought the Val Luton box set, which is fantastic. If you haven't picked it up, by the way, um, it's directed by Mark Robinson and it's set in the 1912 war, which is not generally a time period that movies are set. There's there's really not a whole lot um, during that time. And, and basically, Boris Karloff is a is a commander or general or something like that. He goes to an island where he and a few other people are now quarantined because of threats of the plague. Um, There's also a curse happening around them. and They don't know if it's the plague or if it's the curse. And this movie could have been very boring very easily. Um, It is of that time period. It's 1945. And I do love the black and white. I do love 40s movies. But I will admit, some of the horror movies from that time are very boring. They do tend to drag in the middle. Um, at least the lesser known ones, anyway. And I Love the Dead is probably about the least known of the ones in the Val lo- and Box set, I would think, Cat People being the most known. Um, this movie just has a fantastic feel. It's The atmosphere is great, and for some reason, it doesn't feel old. I, it looks old, but it doesn't feel old to me. It gives me a very current Creepy feeling, and I don't. I that's all. That's how I can describe it. And so when Jason, this is one of his favorite movies, introduced me to this movie. This was just a few years ago, and I I love it. I watched it several times since, and I am super glad I picked up that box set. Now I need to watch the rest of the movies in there that I haven't seen. Number twelve is going to be Ghostbusters. Yep, it's, uh, it's it's Ghostbusters. State Puff Marshmallow Man, Slimer, Bill Murray when he was still funny. Oh uh, yeah, Ghostbusters. I like it. So do you. So does everyone. Let's move on. 11. In a drastic shift in tone, Schindler's List. And I can hear all of you now going, "Oh, that needs to at least be in the top 100 why you put that in your 50 honorable mentions." Couple reasons. For rewatchability, Schindler's List is not it for me. And that's because of all the insanity and all the disgusting and all the death that I watch on TV, and on on movies. Holocaust stuff really bums me out, and I know that's like the understatement of understatements, but it really does. I get it. It really taps into depression there, and I it, I can't watch that stuff often um, or long unless it's kind of, unless it's like Nazi exploitation or something goofy. That's fine, but if it's a serious look at the Holocaust. I get really bummed out for several days after the fact. So, rewatchability-wise, Schindler's List isn't going to be something I'm going to be going to very often. Second, I didn't come across Schindler's List. I mean, I knew it existed, obviously, but I didn't watch it until within the last probably five years or so, so I was late to the game on it. I probably haven't watched it enough to really appreciate it for what it is. It's a gorgeous movie. It's a fantastic story. It's heart-wrenching. It's everything that it should be. Um, I mean, it, it's Schindler's List, but it's, it's, uh, it's good. I don't even know what I'm arguing about at this point in time. Uh, I don't know what I'm defending at this point in time, other than the fact that I'm sorry it's not in my top 100. Please don't hate me number 10. And here we are. We are into the 10 through 1. And then we will be getting on to the regular stuff. So number 10 is going to be the Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project came out when I was but a wee lass... So I missed out on all the viral marketing. Well, I guess it wasn't viral then at that point. I missed out on all the awesome marketing and people actually thinking it was true. I mean, I remember that hype, and I do remember remember being a little kid and thinking it was true that these people just went off in the woods and got lost. But I never, I didn't see the movie until way after the fact, until everybody already knew everything, um, all the gimmicks and everything behind it. And that's why I put it here because. It really probably could have gone higher, and it probably could have gone to my top 100, but it's just so hard rearranging this list. But Blair Witch is still scary. It was scary even after I knew about all that stuff, and it's still scary today. I rewatched it probably about a year ago by myself, and it was horrifying. I don't know if it's because it does have that realistic look to it of just some people out in the woods with their video camera. I don't know if it's because of just the simplicity of the witch markings, um, just using sticks and stones and things like that. I don't know what it is. It's certainly not the acting, that's for sure. Um, but it, I, there's something about it that it's just, it's still scary. And I think about it and I get cold chills. And I, I oof. All right. Number nine. Another newer movie here. Actually, a very new movie. 2015. Carol. Carol, is, Eugene and I have talked about this. I believe there's reviews online, at least for him, from him. I believe I wrote one, I don't know, maybe on Letterboxd or something. But Carol is a fantastic movie, and it's a fucking crime that it was not nominated for Best Director or Best Picture. It's just, it's that's Oscar stomach at its best, because... Carol tells such a beautiful story, and Cain Blanchett and Rooney Mara totally, totally, totally become these characters, and you feel everything that they're feeling, and it's just, it's mesmerizing. I will buy this as soon as it comes on Blu-ray, and I will watch it again. So, moving on to number eight, we've got One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I read One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in high school, nobody made me, I read it on my own, because yay reading. Um, and it, it, the book does have quite a few things in there that, um, aren't, I guess, in the movie, but the movie is just so haunting. i everything. I mean, Jack Nicholson can do no wrong pretty much. At least he's retired and not doing shitty horrid movies like Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are at this point. I really respect, um, Jack Nicholson for kind of being like, you know what? I'm good. I'm not going to do that shit. And One Flew Over the Cuck- Cuckoo's Nest is just uh, the that that little that high-pitched weird score that happens throughout the movie is is perfect Brad Dourif who is, you know, totally not chucky, not his not stereotyped into the horror role yet, very young, kind of cute actually, weirdly. Um is great in it. There's so many people in this movie, and there's so many good performances, and it's just, I could could go on and on and on and really not say anything, aside from the fact that I love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and if you haven't seen it, you really need to do yourself a favor and go out and catch that one immediately. Moving on to number seven, we have The Game. David Fincher's The Game with Michael Douglas. Again, don't need to say too much about this. The game is fantastic. I need to buy the Criterion uh edition of it. Ugh, it's so fucking expensive. And it's so fucking bad shit. That movie is nuts and I don't even know that I re- like I I don't even know where I fall as far as really knowing what's going on at this point. <laughs> at at the halfway point in the movie, but I am there for the ride and I hang on to the end and it was it's just such a good movie. All right, moving on to number five. We've got The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys is a quintessential 80s horror movie. If you haven't seen it, I don't... Honestly, if you haven't seen it, where the fuck have you been? The Lost Boys got Kiefer Sutherland at prime Kiefer Sutherland um, sexiness. I don't know what happened after the 80s, but once he lost that bad boy kind of like grungy, stand-by-me, Lost Boys look, I was done. That 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 that's it. I I don't go in for twenty four keeper, But yeah, the Lost Boys. It's fun. It's got a great eighties soundtrack. It's got greasy Sax Man. So I mean really what what's not to love? And moving on to number four. We are getting down to the wire here, guys. This is fun. Number four, Evil Dead. Yes, the original Evil Dead. Don't put me on a pyre. I, 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 I am I am fully aware that Evil Dead should probably be higher up, but let's. I'm, I'm at a level with you guys. I like the Evil Dead movies, I really do, but they are not my go to's for horror. Um, I appreciate them. I loved Ash vs. Evil Dead. Army of Darkness is hilarious. Evil Dead 2 is great. I, I actually like Evil Dead more than I like Evil Dead 2 um, upon recent viewings. And overall, the, the remake is great. The remake's fantastic compared to remakes, I mean, that we've had for other well-known franchises. But for me, Evil Dead has just always kind of been there. I've seen it live musically, and that's fun. I got splashed in the face with fake blood. That's fun. But for movies, I don't know. I, I don't gravitate to them much for rewatchability. I mean, they have them, and I have re-watched, I've watched them many times. But at this point in my life, I, I'm... I'm looking for other things. Evil Dead isn't really too too far high up on my list, but it did make number 4, so it made close to being in the top 100. And finally, we are in the top 3 with two mo- two new movies and one older movie. Number 3 is The Baba Duke. All right, The Baba Duke. Probably one of my favorite indie darlings, um recently for sure definitely one of my favorite indie darlings but what i like most about this movie is the fact and this is probably gonna sound awful of me is how many people didn't really get it i guess i shouldn't say i like that i i I find it amusing because there's very much the babadook starts out and it makes you think that there's there's an actually a little evil monster the evil monster that they completely made up for this movie they made up that storybook they made up everything um, totally from the mind of some evil person that wants to haunt me in my nightmares. Made up the Babadook. And we are led to believe that this this little monster is terrorizing these people. But really what the movie is, is it's a metaphor for postpartum depression, um, depression in general, fear, loss. It's all very much a psychological movie um, with a monster representing those things. Which is something that I think made some people angry because they wanted it to be a full-fledged monster or a new kind of creepy movie. And look, I'm looking for the next horror icon as much as the next guy. I really, really wish we could have one uh, because it's been a long time since we've had a Freddy or a Jason or a Michael. Um, but I don't think the Babadook was going to be it. <laughs> but I, it could it could have been, I suppose. I would like to see like an actual Babadook movie. But the Babadook... It hit me on such so many levels. And the fact that it's directed, written by a first-time female director really puts it up there for me. And it's just such a good look at that. And it's, it makes so much sense when you when you really think about it. So moving on to number two. My second new movie is It Follows, which also very divisive amongst the horror community. People either love it or people hate it. And I, I and obviously fall in the I Love It crowd, Everything about this movie is great. The cinematography is great. Everything calls back to the 1970s kind of... It, it's set in a world where we don't really know what time period it is because they have older technology, but then they have technology that doesn't even exist in the little um, compact case that's also like an e-reader or something. It, I like that dreamy aspect. The entire movie kind of feels like it's set up in a dream, and I, I really enjoy that. Is there some flaws in logic, or some logic flaws to the... Uh, The actual whatever is following, the it follows. Yes, yes, there is. But let's be honest, kids. How many horror movies that aren't drama horror movies or thriller horror movies or basically fit into any character uh, category that my number one honorable mention fits into? How many of those actually make 100% sense? None. None. You're, you're thinking, but none. None of them do. All of the Halloween sequels make no sense. All, just, all of the Friday, There's so many illogical things that happen in horror that it cracks me up when people get upset when illogical, thing ha- illogical things happen. <laughs> because they happen all the time. It follows, has some logic flaws, this is true. But everything else about it is fantastic and rejuvenates the genre to a point that it needs to be rejuvenated to because we're moving on. The score is something that, which I'm really enjoying, and I'm seeing this a lot in new indie filmmakers, indie horror filmmakers, who um, really have an appreciation for what it is for music um, used in horror movies, and It Follows Disaster Piece does that perfectly. They make the exact soundtrack, or the exact score that you would think would need to go with this movie, because they appreciate him from the older horror movies, and this is something that a lot of studios don't really get. And I think that's it. That's all I'm going to say about It Follows, because you either like it or you don't, and I'm not going to change your mind either way. But if you haven't seen it, I hope you go out and check it out. Um, Rent it, Redbox it, whatever. Get it from Netflix, something. It's a great movie. I'm sorry if you don't like it, but that's, that's your problem. And number one of my 50 honorable mentions, and we are done here, is Silence of the Lambs. Now there's been some uh, next show we're going to have some Hannibal talk here. And, and and I know Eugene wasn't isn't too awesome for the uh, uh, third season. But he does agree. And I hope you do too. And I mean really you'd be insane not to. That Silence of the Lambs is a fantastic movie. And what I want to say about sil- Silence of the Lambs before I wrap this up. Because there's really not a whole lot to say about it that hasn't been said. I didn't come to Silence of the Lambs until. Well actually I saw it. Earlier on in life, I never really thought anything about it. Um, up until probably a few years ago, I was with Jason, and we—he was like, "You know what? I want to watch *Silence of the Lambs*." I was like, "Okay, I haven't seen that movie in a while. It's good, whatever." That movie is fantastic, and it has aged so well. Nothing about it makes it—nothing about it seems irrelevant. And it's just everything is perfect. And while I do like Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal more than Anthony Hopkins, and yes, I know that can be blasphemous to say, but it's true. Anthony Hopkins still does a fantastic job. And score points for Silence of the Lambs actually getting an Academy uh, Award nomination because it's one of the very, 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 very few horror movies. And yes, folks, it's a horror movie. I'm sorry, but you got a cannibal. You got a dude who's Ted bundy and it up and kidnapping women to then skin and make lampshades out of and other assorted things. And he does a dance. To Wild Horses, which is a totally underrated song, with his dick tucked. So yeah, it's a horror movie. You can dress it up as a thriller or suspense or however much you want, but it's got all those horror elements. Alright guys, that is my top 50 honorable mentions, 25 through 1. Next time, we are going to jump right in to my actual top 100, but we're going to be going in 10 this time instead of uh, 20. Alright guys, thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed the list. As always, get at us on Facebook or Twitter. Talk to us. We like to chat. See you later.
0: Well done, Jess. That was pretty interesting. Actually, there were a couple of surprises in there that uh, we might have to talk about uh, next episode. That being said, it's time for me to release the Oscar contest categories. Uh, We do this every year where I pick a bunch of categories. I Request that you tell me who you think will win in each of these categories, and the person with the most right answers will get a prize. What prize? I don't know yet. I like to uh, try and customize it for whoever wins. That way it's just not some generic thing, but hopefully something that you really enjoy. And the way you enter this contest, you can shoot us an email at moviefreakspod at yahoo.com. Please don't post on the page with your picks, or somebody else could... uh, just steal them and then we'd have ties and that's a giant pain in my ass so please don't do that <laughs> okay get your pen and paper ready or queue up your notepad on your keyboard here are the categories obviously we're going to do all the main ones the big ones best picture best director best actor best actress uh best actor in a sporting role best actress in a sporting role Then, for the last four, I like to change it up a bit and do stuff a little more random. Best Animated Feature Film, Best Cinematography, Best Documentary, and the Oscar for Visual Effects. I feel like those categories were really wide open to anybody winning. Uh, Any of the ones that were selected, I thought were all (laughs) worthy. Uh, But uh, yeah, just try and get as many right as you can, and win a prize! All email entry forms are due uh, before the Oscars air. Once the Oscars begin, uh, no more entries will be accepted, obviously. Uh, And the usual rules apply for any of our contests, we only ship lower 48, sorry for all of our listeners in Russia and India. (laughs) But uh, shipping overseas is too expensive. Let's take it over to Eugene for some recently watched. Let's see what he's been into. And we'll see where we're at time-wise. Maybe I'll throw something else in at the end if uh, we want to fill out a little more time. Take it away, Eugene.
1: Hello, everyone. Eugene Weaver here from The Movie Freaks. And uh, in my segment, I'm going to be discussing some recently watched movies. And this is actually going to be kind of my uh, uh, Cinema Soft Underbelly for the week. And generally for my Soft Underbelly show, I do... Uh, I had been doing every day when I started, and that was just crazy. And then from there, I went to uh every week. And now I'm at about every other week, unless there's something really important that I absolutely have to talk about. Then I'll do a once-a-week uh episode, or every week I'll do an episode of Soft Underbelly. But for now, this is going to be my weekly uh Soft Underbelly installment for Movie Freaks. So there's a good chance that I'm going to also put this on to uh my own show we shall see i'm not sure yet uh so anyway so recently watched um we stopped last week on uh on movie freaks with uh, i know that i had discussed a little bit um indiana jones some of the hannibal tv show uh and um Obviously, we're not going to be doing the roulette this week because of the format change up for the week. Just because it, it, the timing of this show, it has to be perfect. And sometimes, unfortunately, it is not, uh, because I, at least for one, sometimes work late into the evening. And, uh, you know, I've got kids. Eric, same thing. Jess, same thing with working late. So this week, this is what we're doing. And I think it's going to be really fun to kind of have our own little segments on movie freaks. So, uh, I want to expound on just a little bit more, uh, my thoughts on, uh, Hannibal, the entire complete series. So I, I finally finished, uh, season three. And by finally, I mean, I burned through this, through all three seasons in about three weeks. I averaged about a season, uh, a week. And here's the thing. I, uh, I know that that's overkill and that that pretty much, uh, if you, at least for me, if I watch that much television, I get burned out. I'm a movie guy. I love movies. Uh, TV is extreme distant second place for me. Uh, when it's done right, uh, I can totally get into it. Game of Thrones is a great example of getting it right. Ash vs. Evil Dead is another great example. But when I start to feel a, rip-off or cash grab or um, something that gets a bit too pretentious. I lose interest very fast. Uh, Lost is a great example of a cash grab. They didn't know where they were going with it, and it ended silly, completely ridiculous. Unfortunately, so does Hannibal, the TV show. What started out as a really good show – and this – this is different personalities. I can see where some people might enjoy this show. Uh, Brian Fuller created it, and I believe that Brian Fuller is going to also be doing the new Star Trek series. Great. That's awesome. But if anybody's wondering why this got canceled, and, oh, it got canceled because uh, the network kept on uh, switching the times around and dates and blah, blah, blah. No, this thing got canceled because it turned into artsy, pretentious, hipster nonsense. Season three, uh, for me, uh, I gave it one and a half out of five stars. That's how much I disliked season three. In fact, I disliked season three so much that I dropped uh, season two down a half of a point. So season one, I thought, was solid TV entertainment. There was more of a movie or a, a TV of the week. Like every week, basically, there would be a new crime that they had to solve. And I, I, get it. There's a progression with our character. There's a pro- progression with Hannibal Lecter, who is played by Mads Mikkelsen. He does a really good job, by the way. Um, Hugh Dancy is Will Graham. And, uh, Dr. Alana Bloom is played by Caroline Davernus, I think. I don't know, whatever. I, I don't care about the show really. Jack Crawford, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Um, and then we've got other, uh, character. Verger is in the care, is in the show in season three. Uh, we've got the Red Dragon, also known as Tooth Fairy, from the movie The Red Dragon and Manhunter. Um, so, here's how I rate the show. Season one gets a four star out of five. I, I loved the setup, thought it was really cool. I thought it was great how graphic and grisly the show got, uh, on every episode. It was, it was horrific. Uh, all the while, Hannibal is very secretly and slyly playing everybody off of each other. Great. Um, not perfect, but, but great. Really, really good. Season two is a little bit more of the same. They up the ante with uh, a bit more unrealistic stuff, as well as getting a little bit more artsy with their slow motion stuff in season two. By the end of season two, I'm like, okay, I'm getting real fast done with this show, but there's only three seasons, so let's soldier on and, and do season three. And right from the get-go, first episode of season three, I'm like... Oh, artsy, pretentious, full of itself, slow motion shots. People talking in a dialogue that is foreign to me. No one talks like this in real life at this point. Uh, and they they dabbled with this a little bit in season one, then a little bit more in season two. In season three, it's full-on Shakespearean nonsense, where everybody just utters lines that you would never, ever say. Like, everybody, all the time. Uh, they, essentially, they rip off... Uh, really Scott's Hannibal and Brett Ratner's Red Dragon. Somehow they take both of those movies, squish them into season three, add a whole heaping dose of hipster, slow the camera down at every instance that they can and make it as unrealistic as humanly possible and, uh, out Hannibal season three. I didn't like, uh, really anything about this season other than some of the effects are of course admittedly very good, uh, but not near as much as what we've seen in seasons one and two, they just go full on uh, artsy in this. And I'm just not a fan of pretentious and, and artsy. And that's what this is. Uh, here's a good version of what I consider to be artsy and a bit pretentious, but in a good way. Uh, and I don't want to say it's not even pretentious because it's such a good movie. It's not pretentious, but it follows is a good, um, is a good one for me to, to describe as something that I consider to have a lot of artistic merit, the way it's shot uh, the, the character beats in it are very uh, m- not as mainstream horror. Uh, this, on the other hand, is full on. Uh, you know, I haven't read the Thomas Harris books, so take that uh, as it is. Uh, maybe the books are very much written in this style, in this format, but for me, I will take Hannibal. Sounds of the Lambs, and uh Red Dragon as well as Manhunter and you know what honestly at this point even Hannibal Rising the the prequel over this uh I'll never watch it again and uh I'm disappointed that I wasted that much time on this show uh, one I'm not a big TV show guy to begin with and uh two just to see the degra- uh, the just the degradation of this show from Really good season one, good season two, and not good season three. And I feel like I kind of flushed a lot of hours away. So my TV watching is done for a while. We'll just say, um, Eugene's going to hold off until Game of Thrones season, what, whatever they're on, five, six. I'll get into TV again at that point. Otherwise, the occasional Twilight Zone episode. Um, yeah, that's about it. I don't have any interest in in uh, this stuff. So uh, anyway, if you are at all interested in this, great. Give it a watch. The first two seasons are on Amazon prime. If you're interested uh, season three, I have all three on blu-ray uh, stupid. me, I bought all three of them for three bucks, good price, but not for something I'm not, I'll never watch again. Uh, but I would be curious to know what other people think of, especially season three, because it is a mashup of Ridley Scott's Hannibal, uh, coupled with red dragon. And smushed together and, and none of it near as good as the movies. And that's saying a lot because I'm praising Brett Ratner's Red Dragon, uh, and elevating it significantly from what this show is. Uh, also, um, what's her name? Uh, Scully from, uh, from the X-Files. Um, Gillian Anderson, there you go. She, uh, along with, the Alana Bloom character, played by that Caroline uh, Davernas, uh, if you pronounce it that way, uh, neither of them seem to have a good reason to be in the show at all, uh, especially Jillian Anderson. I didn't get her character. I thought it was stupid. Um, and uh, the, it almost feels like she's embarrassed saying the things that she does because it's so ridiculous and nonsensical. So anyway, uh, as a whole, if I would lump all three together, I would give this show, because Season 3 is so bad, I would, I mean, two and a half, maybe, maybe three stars, but that's pushing it uh, right in that line of two and a half to three because of the really, really good Season 1 and the watchable Season 2. Uh, anyway, I've spent too much time on that, as, uh, just thinking about that show. Uh, upsets me, because I wasted so much time on it. Okay, moving on. Um, so, I talked already about Sons of the Lambs and Hannibal the movie on the last Movie Freaks, um, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. So, now it's time to talk a little bit about Deadpool. Yes, I did see Deadpool, and yes, it is as good as the reviews say. Uh, there's a reason why this movie made boatloads of money. And it's not just the fact that the movie is as good as it is. And it is great. Uh, here's why the movie is... One of the reasons why the movie is doing so well is because the promotional pieces, the uh, advertisements, everything leading up to this movie made it to be exactly what it turned out to be. It was irreverent. It was hysterically funny. Um, And they pushed the R-rated limit Excessively. The whole movie, um, I don't want to say excessively, but it's very graphic violence, very graphic language, very graphic sex and nudity, especially the nudity. Um, everything about the movie says we are an R-rated movie and we are fully embracing it, kind of like Dread did uh, with Carl Urban, which I love that movie. That one there has a very serious dark tone. This uh, is extremely dark comedy with, uh, with, yeah, all sorts of gory, violent shenanigans and, uh, uh, and it's great. I thought it was fantastic. This was the movie that Ronald, Ryan Reynolds was meant to play. He needed to be in this movie. He is Deadpool. Um, obviously there's a whole history with this character and with what they did with it with, uh, in Wolverine, uh, origins or what, that first Wolverine movie and, I'm not a huge comic book follower, so to me, when I saw that movie the first time, I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, I guess, whatever. I, not a big deal to me. Well, I didn't know that they completely botched that character in that movie. Here, from what I'm told, it, this is very, very true to the comic book. In fact, even more so, on so in some instances uh, with the bone-breaking violence and just how raunchy the movie really is. I will say this. My co-host Derek Marner is not a big fan of T.J. Miller, um, and for what it's worth, I'm not really either. However, in this movie, this is what a good writer and a good director can do: bring out the best in an actor that you don't always care for. And he did that. Uh, he did that to me uh, in this movie with T.J. Miller. I thought that T.J. Miller was quite funny, and. His brief appearances here and there were well-timed and served the plot quite well, especially forwarding it on and being, you know, being, uh, Wade, who is Deadpool, Wade's buddy, the confidant that he goes to in this bar. So for that, I give, uh, I give director Tim Miller credit that he was able to get a good performance, a funny performance out of TJ Miller. Uh, Same with pretty much everybody, honestly, uh, a couple minor quibbles about the movie, but, uh, really not much. Um, Ajax, played by Ed, uh, Sgrine, I, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, I thought that he was really good. And, and you know what? That is, is that wrong? Um, no, okay. That, that's right. I'm right on that. Okay. So, um, I thought that he did really good as the main villain in this movie. Uh, I, I will say though, that his character was a little bit underdeveloped, or at least, the for me, the, the, the plot of why they make him Deadpool. It's in there, but it just felt like they could have delved a little bit more into what the villains were really all about, and uh, instead of just being bad guys that Deadpool's going to kill. And, and that's a minor quibble, and that might just be me. There's flash forwards and flashbacks and fourth wall breaking and and a romance that genuinely works, uh, even though it's like I said, it's just it's raunchy and it's but it's funny and it's actually heartbreaking and touching. So I like the fact that this movie is able to bring so many different things to the table, and that's yet another reason why it did so well. We're talking 150 million dollars uh, for an R-rated movie in four days, and that is just unheard of. Now. Speaking of that R rating, lots of sold out shows, obviously. We were in a very big theater for our Friday night showing. And it was, yeah, it was probably sold out, I would imagine. We got our tickets ahead of time. Uh, the amount of kids in this movie with their parents was staggering. And I'm not sure what the mindset is of a parent. Uh, if you are a listener and you are a parent taking your seven or eight year old daughter or son to a movie like this, I, really? Um, you might want to hop on IMDb. I'm not trying to judge, but it just seems like not just the movie itself, but the trailers playing in front of it aren't really the best thing to be showing a really young kid. That's just me, you know, uh, take it for what it is. But there was two very young girls sitting in front of us with their mom and dad. And uh at one point, the dad leaves. And so there's like a seat in between the mom and the two girls. And uh there they are watching... Sex and violence and swearing, and I'm like, really, the one girl was playing on her phone the entire time because she didn't like it, I'm guessing, Uh, but we're talking young kids. So, anyway, for what it's worth, if you are thinking about taking your kids to see Deadpool, really do some research because it is a rough movie. It it truly is. Uh, It's fun, but it would be a lot more for, well, it's rated R for a reason. So, you know, because of that, maybe reconsider, and uh, uh, late teens would be the, the place to start. Anyway, uh, I would imagine that because of the success of Deadpool, we are going to be seeing more Deadpool, and we will hopefully be seeing more R-rated superhero movies, and just more R-rated movies in general. I, I'm i so happy that this was a success. Uh, while Dread, I think, needed to be way more of a success than it, than it was, because I really liked Dread, We finally have a superhero movie that is a hard R, that is doing huge numbers at the box office. People love the character. We're going to see more of Deadpool. We're going to see more... I I cannot imagine we're not going to see more R-rated stuff. In fact, I really wish that that, uh, Suicide Squad would have embraced what looks to be an R-rated subject matter and just fully embraced that. Uh, However, regardless, I think that movie looks so good. I can't wait for Suicide Squad. In fact, I would say that Suicide Squad is probably my second most anticipated superhero movie coming out. I know that Captain America is going to be really good and uh, Batman versus Superman is going to be really, really good. Uh, Dr. Strange. There's so many superhero movies. I will say that uh, almost too many. Uh, if that is possible, I think that it is almost getting to be oversaturated by 2016 standards. Uh, this seems to be a bit much. Um, just, it seems like every month there's a new one coming out and, I my fear is that a colossal bomb is going to happen. And it is going to happen eventually. One of these movies is going to be a huge budget and it's going to be a colossal bomb. And then all the studios are going to, whoa, okay, pull back. Hold on, hold on. Uh, and because I love these superhero movies, but maybe a little bit more spaced out might be good. But I guess, hey, what makes money is what sells, you know, what what they make. So we're going to see more of this type of thing. But Deadpool is great. And I'm not going to go over the, the storyline. It's, it's a good guy, kind of good guy, uh, sort of (laughs) dressed up as a superhero. He is a superhero with superpowers, very, very similar to Wolverine. And he kills a lot of bad guys and he makes a lot of funny jokes. And after the credits, there's even more funny jokes. So stay through the end credits because it's worth it. Okay. Anyway, Uh, next up after Deadpool. And it was really good to do a, a positive review after, uh, the other one, Blech. Um I did write, I'm going to wrap my uh, review segment up with uh, Anomalisa. And this is one that is uh, playing right now at the Nightlight Cinema in Akron, where I work. And this is the latest from Charlie Kaufman. Stop motion movie, 90 minutes long of a man that is on a business trip, an overnight business trip for a speaking engagement in the morning. And we follow this man, voiced by... Uh, David Thewlis. Uh so da- it, there's three voices in this movie, by the way, three voice actors. David Thulis is the uh the main voice, and he is play his character's name is Michael Stone. We also have Jennifer Jason Lee, is the voice of Lisa Hesselman, and Tom Noonan, the great Tom Noonan. He's the voice of everyone else. And there is so much more to this movie than what you see on the surface. On the surface, this movie is more of a a a character study on this lonely man that's going through middle age that is in a bland marriage. They've got a kid, but he's in a bland marriage. He has regrets, and he contemplates these regrets over a night in Cincinnati, Ohio. Everybody around him is voiced by Tom Noonan, and everybody has the same monotone voice, and everybody bothers him. Until he meets Lisa Hesselman in the bar of the hotel and they fall for each other and, uh, they have a one night stand and that's when all sorts of weirdness ensues. And after a little bit, at first it was like, wow, I'm watching a stop motion movie. And, uh, it's like, I immediately imagined like, okay, David his voice, he is Michael Stone. And as it went on, I thought of it less and less as a stop motion movie, but as a full-on art piece uh caught on film. I loved it. I love this movie. In fact, I love what I like about it is when the when the credits rolled and I thought about it, I'm like, there's some underlying themes going on here that you that when the credits roll that you literally kind of put together yourself, or at least I did. Um and I'm not gonna spoil them on my review of the movie because it's so cool to think of it in different layers. Like with one layer it could be this. And in another layer, it could actually be meaning this, and this is what actually happened. And then it also could be this. So um, I don't want to spoil that. I think that you should go out to see it. Please come up to the Nightlight uh, Cinema to watch it, and I'll serve you a tasty beverage and serve you some popcorn, and you'll love the movie. Um, Charlie Kaufman isn't, I guess, for everyone, so keep that in mind. I haven't seen all his all his movies. I believe that Eric has watched most of them. Uh, other than this one here, I'm very, very curious what Eric's thoughts would be on Anomalisa just because it's, well, I say it's so different, but I guess Charlie Kaufman's movies are different. Uh, it's darkly funny, yet it's very, very, very heavy and sad. And, um, when it's done and I have to choose my words carefully, cause again, I don't want to spoil this. When it was done, um, I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, it ended okay." And then, when, like I said, when I started to really think about it, I'm like, "Wow, okay, that um, that was that could have gone this way." And if that's the way they went, ugh, man, ouch. So anyway, if this is what middle age is like, and I'm fast, fast approaching or there uh, to middle age, I'm 41. Uh, that it's a scary thought. Uh, I'm happy with my life. This guy is obviously not happy with his life, but I hope that I am never in that situation, and I don't think I would be. Uh, so powerful. Such a powerful movie. I cannot recommend this enough. I only gave it four out of five uh, simply because I need to watch it again to wrap my head around everything that goes on in first the jet, then the airport, then the taxi, then the hotel, then the hotel bar, then back to the hotel room, Then to his conference, then back home. There's so many things going on set to something so simple as a man on an overnight business trip. Uh, It's, it's such a simple setup with such heavy, heavy subject matter that is going on. So please watch the movie. It's really, really good. And, uh, I wish that there would be more movies made like this. I, uh, especially in this format, stop motion. We rarely see, uh, this is an R-rated movie for a reason. It's uncomfortable, but it's cool to see a stop motion movie, animated movie that is R-rated like this. That needs to be. This, this should not have been cut down to a PG-13 or a PG by any means. This is a heavy R-rated movie and it should be that. So I am very glad that they went that route. Um, so anyway, there's a couple other movies I could talk about. Uh, but you know what? I, I'm going to save those for the next time we have an actual Movie Freaks uh, podcast taping with all of us on. I have recently rewatched Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I will say um, it does not help watching that directly right after Hannibal Season 3 uh, because I was pretty pissed by the end of Hannibal Season 3. And then I finished up Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because I broke that up into two nights because it was so bad. Um I might want to delve into that just a little bit more on Movie Freaks and talk to the other two about that movie and everything that is wrong with that movie. Um, but anyway, that's for another time. There's a couple other horror movies that I'd like to talk about, but I want to I want them to chime in on that as well. Uh, I will say this though: by the time this uh, episode is up. My review for Southbound will be up on uh, on the Movie Freaks podcast Facebook page. So please make sure to check that out. Give it a read. Give it a thumbs up if you're at all interested or if you like it. Um, also, today I posted my re- my official review for Anomalisa on Movie Freaks Facebook, Friends of the Nightlight, and then uh, Weaver Media Productions Facebook page and Cinema Soft Underbelly. Uh, I'm really trying to get some more reviews going on out there and all that good stuff. Um Anyway, that's gonna do it for my segment of the show. But I'm gonna quick plug a couple things before I uh I sign off. Please make sure to listen to uh Cinema Soft Underbelly on iTunes. A new episode would be the, will be taping probably next week. I'm I'm pretty sure next week. Uh I might even throw this one on to on to the uh Soft Underbelly as well, just as a as a filler type deal. Um, and then obviously Eric will do the whole chiming in on movie freaks for to find us all that good stuff. Make sure that you, uh, if you get a chance, stop by uh, the nightlight cinema in Akron. I work there. Our co-host Jess Hicks works there. It's a cool place with cool movies right now. Melissa is playing and a boy in the world is playing. And we also are going to be showing uh, starting Friday, the witch, which is a great looking uh, horror movie set back in the 1800s. I believe dealing with witchcraft, all that crazy stuff. I can't wait. I'm really excited that we're getting that. Anyway, that's going to do it for my segment of Movie Freaks. Thanks for listening.
0: Well done, sir. Well done. Thank you very much for uh, keeping us up to date. What have you been watching? Um, I have a couple of things that I could review, but I think I'm going to hold off till we're all together because uh, they were movies that we've been discussing on the show, and we I want to catch up uh, with the, uh, both of the other two about... Uh, where I stand on these films, they've been discussing. So yeah, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode. I know it's been a little bit of a filler episode, but hey, it's better than nothing. <laughs> uh, I guarantee next episode's going to be crammed, packed. Next couple, actually. Next we'll have a, an Oscar show, and then we're going to be talking about our favorites of 2015, and then after that we're going to be doing a really big review show so that we can all get caught up on everything that we've been into lately. Uh, Yeah, as always you can get a hold of us at moviefreakspod at yahoo.com moviefreakspod is your keyword for finding us anywhere on the web facebook, twitter, uh, email yahoo, everything Uh, that's going to be it, see you next time bye thanks for listening